Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, how's it going this week? I don't have a great answer for you on that, Kate. Um, it's going like it's going. Yeah, it's it's been an unmooring week. Um, today's kind of like been my best day since Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I am. Um, but on the upside, I'm allowed to leave my house. For that's the time exciting. Being. Yeah, I'm not. You are no longer allowed to leave your house at all. Yeah. Um, well, as of today, as of tomorrow. Oh, as yeah. of tomorrow. Oh, so you've got one last day to get out there to just get out there and go to all the stores that aren't grocery stores. So, listeners, if you don't know, um, Chicago uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, Governor of Illinois, announced uh, today as we record that there is a shelter in place order for all of the state of Illinois until April seventh. So. Yeah, it's gonna be a while. <laughs> we're gonna, we already were bunkering like pretty hardcore. Uh, we're bunker buddies here at Casa yeah. Kalsik. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be another two and a half weeks of this. And I mean, I was already doing all of this stuff anyways, and I think yeah. it's a good call. It's very easy for me to say that because I have a job that allows me to do remote you know work i can teach lessons over skype as long as i have internet and also power both of which i didn't have for part of this week and that was fun um but i you know i fully recognize that that it's easy for me to say well of course they should do shelter in place you know we've seen from all these other countries how significant and important that is for flattening the curve and reducing transmissions uh, of of COVID-19 specifically from people who are asymptomatic. Um, But I also, you know, I thought that Governor Pritzker did, uh, you know, has been doing a good job and, you know, he had a line in this, his press conference today that like, he realizes he's being asked to choose between people's lives and people's livelihoods. And you can't have a livelihood if you don't have a life. So that's what, you know, and, and I, I support that choice, but I'm fully aware of how, difficult things are or are about to be for a lot of people. Uh, what I thought was interesting was like, it felt like they were not all that specific about what counts as an essential business because restaurants are still open for k- delivery and, and uh, takeout um, or curbside pickup, whatever, which, you know, is good for those of us who don't trust our way around grocery stores <laughs> and cooking at home. Um, but so there's, so grocery stores are still open, pharmacies, gas stations, um, uh, going to the doctor, going to the vet, uh, plumbers and like technicians and like, but all that stuff counts as essential. So it's, it just, it feels like anything that is not connected to the essential, like, operating of your life is out and i don't know if that means internet or not which is why i was grateful that the internet person came yesterday because yeah. i don't know if the if if your cable goes out is that essential or are they closed down because it's not essential it's just like it's essential for mental health but yeah but it's also essential for like your ability to have do your livelihood work from home yeah yeah so i think there's an argument to be made for that. It would certainly be the case in like our household where my partner is completely work from home and has been since Tuesday, I think. 
Um, so I think that that's an argument to be made for that. Um, the other thing, I don't know if you saw this or not, but GameStop has been trying to convince everyone that they are an essential retail outlet <laughs> that needs to stay open because that they sell technology that connects people. Uh, to which I go, good job, GameStop, for just continuing to be the worst. Yep. Just the absolute worst. Uh, so, yeah, no, GameStop, you're you're not essential. If Best Buy is not making that claim, you certainly cannot. And yeah. I think Best Buy is being real tentative with trying to do that since Best Buy actually sells things that are mm-hmm. useful right now. <laughs> GameStop does not. <laughs> no. No, it does not. Um, I will would also throw out that fortunately we can go outside for walks and hiking and and it sounds like also yeah. biking. Like you're 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 welcome to go do that. And it really sounds like for the most part they're just they're saying no one can go outside. But but dude, just stop going outside. Is <laughs> really what it feels more like. Um, and it'll only become a larger yeah. issue if if people just don't listen to that. But um. But yeah, it, it for for me things aren't going to change dramatically, but hopefully this will help. It still certainly has been very nice to have some solid leadership at the state level, and yeah. I have learned I don't watch at the federal level because there's nothing helpful for me there. Um, so that's been that's continuing to be a, a consistent thread <laughs> in my life this week. Um, there's been some, I mean, obviously there's lots of news going around. There's, there's lots of TV news going around, but we're not going to talk about most of it. Um, we're going to talk about a couple things though, because with all of this, you know, every place is shut down. All the production studios are shut down. Um, people were wondering like, what is this going to mean? Apparently for a lot of shows that are in production right now, they just are going to end this season and not have those. They're not going to like go back into production after this blows over. So they just will have shorter episode orders for the season. And for most shows, I feel like that makes a lot of sense. I do think there are a couple where, you know, something is coming and they will hopefully they'll have to negotiate things, but hopefully they will be able to announce something soon. And the main people I'm thinking about here are, can you guess the supernatural fans? (laughs) Because they cannot not end supernatural (laughs) after all of this. So that's who I immediately thought of when I heard that a lot of TV shows currently in production are not going to have season finales. Yeah, it's I've, I think Supernatural is sort of like the big iconic um, high profile one in this instance. It, Yeah, because there's the issue of like, I feel like you can maybe get them back. Maybe if like Jared Padalecki's got his Walker Texas Ranger show um, on CBS, that makes it difficult. Uh, but at the same time, you have to imagine that the three cores would all be like, yes, no, we can come back and do this. Um, but scheduling it and figuring it out and then rehiring a crew that maybe have already lined up jobs or had jobs ready to go um, if they had been uh, attached to any pilot pickups or anything. Because, uh, again, also something to keep in mind is that pilot season is just completely shot now. Um, and mm-hmm. by shot, I mean not happening. Um, which means almost everything's probably going to get renewed because it's easier that way, which might mean that we get a second season of Emergence just because. Which <gasps> Don't throw lining. that out there. Don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> they just may not have anything else and we may just get it. But also like it may blow over, but it may come back because that's how viruses work. Um, so mm-hmm. that's what's going to ha- happen this fall. 
yeah. in this winter. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I, I refuse to get too excited about it. Um, like, I'm, I, I, I'm not excited, optimistic. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really curious about what we're going to do as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Come there's fall. Um, <laughs> More on that in a little bit. Um, yeah. The other big internet news or TV news, I should say, this this week in this broke as we, when while we were talking earlier today, which was yes. very fun because we got to experience it together. Um, listeners, if you listen to this podcast, you know that we really like the Star Wars Clone Wars, and uh, and specifically, I really like and just like pretty much everybody does. Asuka, Ahsoka, Ahsoka. 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 So it's been too long. Ahsoka. Uh, I didn't say I really like the character, but I do really like the character. I just, you know, don't say her name out loud very much. Anyways, I really like Ahsoka Tano and they have announced that the character will be featured and be showing up in season two of the Mandalorian and she will be played by Rosario Dawson. It's so good. I'm so excited. <laughs> It's very exciting just on like a fan level um, since this was something that was put out in the ether like years ago. Like it was it had been percolating like someone tweeted at her and she was just like, yeah, no, I'd love to like do something with Star Wars. And then I think it just kind of spiraled into the idea of that if Ahsoka ever showed up in a live action capacity, that there was really no one else to do it but Rosario Dawson. And now it's actually happening. And it's that kind of like dream fan casting kind of thing that's coming true. That's just really delightful and very, very exciting. And I, I for one just kind of can't wait because it also ties up a, like answers questions about, wait, hang on. How did you, but then you did the thing with the thing at the end of Rebels. How are you, wait, what happened? And <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I'm deeply interested, Kate, in how the Star Wars presence on Disney Plus is just like, no, we're not about the movies. I tweeted about this a little bit um, a few months ago, but no, the movies don't matter anymore. That's, that's not the thing. <laughs> Clone Wars is the thing that we're going to care about from now on in a very weird and wonderful way. And this just feels like Dave Filoni going, yeah. I'm just going to wrap up all my storylines. I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad that Disney's just willing to give Dave Filoni all this money to just do stuff. Because um, he understands Star Wars, and I really appreciate that about him. Um, and he understands what's interesting about Star Wars um, in a different way from, I think, like Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely understands it on a different level from like J.J. Abrams, who's just deeply, deeply immersed in a nostalgic sort of approach. Filoni's wanting to push it forward in some way, shape, or form, even though The Mandalorian is also deeply throwback in its own special ways as well. So, as we discussed. Anyway, so I'm very excited. Um, and that is a show that we might actually see since yeah. they, were, they started filming season two, like, even before season one, like, aired. So that is something that we will actually probably see, I think. I'm hoping, knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> Now, normally, I would say they're casting Rosario Dawson. It means Ahsoka is going to be a significant character. But this is the Mandalorian, so maybe she's right. going to show up for one episode. Who knows? Oh, gosh. If she's up for one episode, I think that everyone would just burn the internet down. <laughs> like, just Disney Plus would just get burned to the ground as cinders. Um, I don't think that's a good idea. They shouldn't do that. But this also reminds me that I am, like, at least two weeks behind on Clone Wars. So mm-hmm. I need to catch up. Yeah. 
Well, uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that news as much as we did. Um, there are also a few other things we're gonna. I wanted to talk about here because there's so much stressful happening in the world. I am doing my best. I am endeavoring to find one or two fun things every week uh, to talk about in this week in distancing. Um, and the first thing is one that we all know about. I think we all know, we all love, and it's the penguins of the Shed Aquarium. Did, we didn't talk about this last week, I don't think, did we? No. No, okay. So listeners, if you don't know, obviously the Chicago Shed Aquarium, massive aquarium, lovely aquarium, uh, if that's your thing, and they, they're closed. So while they're closed, the people who work there, the who who take care of the animals, have been letting the penguins just wander around the aquarium. And it is amazing. Because they're just wandering around, looking at the tanks, going like, "What the hell? What the hell's going on, guys?" There's, you know, because they they penguins live in very specific regions of the world. Yes, especially these penguins. Especially these penguins. Watching them, uh, look at like fish that they have definitely never seen before. <laughs> it's like they're like they look like fish. They're really bright colors. But fish are shiny and gray. So this is really weird. Uh, I mean, who knows what they're thinking? But in my head, that's what they're thinking. And it's delightful. Right. There's another one of them, like, wandering over by the food court. And it's just, like, again, delightful. There was a third one of them going down the stairs, just, like, hopping down the stairs. And we're like, yep, yep. I highly recommend it. Go seek it out. Um, also, for Chicago-based foodies, uh, if, if, if you know what I'm – about to say, you'll know this is a significant thing. Uh, Alinea is serving $35 per person meals, guys, to go meals. And for those who don't know what that, those who do know what that means, just went like head blown, mind exploded. And those who don't know what that means, um, means this is one of the, it's a three Michelin star restaurant. It's obscenely expensive. Um, you, can't like you can't get a reservation for forever and the the meals are like three hundred dollars a person to start so you know they have like these like insanely um intent like like detailed seven course ten course tasting menus that they do this really avant-garde food um but because they're closed uh they want to keep their some of their servers employed uh, and be able to hire people back. So they are doing $35 comfort food meals. And currently that's beef Wellington with uh, beef short rib Wellingtons, mashed potatoes, uh, 50, 50 mash and uh, creme brulee. So that sounds really good. And the pic, it looks really, really good. There's pictures on, on, on Twitter guys. And it's like, well, Chicago is on lockdown. I don't think I can drive over there and get takeout and just be like, hi, I drove in from the suburbs because I'm never going to be able to afford Alinea, but I can afford this version. So I think yeah. they wouldn't appreciate that. I think the mayor wouldn't appreciate that, but for those of you who live near there, please enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have questions. I feel like a lot of this exposes one of those things that have been sort of circulating around. Um, like, the idea of, like, a lot of our things are built on scams, basically, and lies. Of, like, oh, TSA just lets you bring 12 ounces of hand sanitizer now. Because that whole thing doesn't mean anything. Oh, data caps are being lifted because it was just a nonsense thing that has nothing to do with your actual network traffic. And for me, this is like, oh, 
you can do good food for $35, it turns out, and you don't need $300. Yes, obviously you can. Mm -hmm. It's nothing, it's not even remotely the same thing. It's like, there's no comparison to what this food is and what they usually do. So it's not the same thing. But the chefs that that are usually designing that thing are also perfectly capable of doing this other thing. For right. a reasonable price. What I'm saying is that maybe you should just do that for a reasonable price. Like, I mean, this is a larger discussion that we can get into with our season spotlight because it is a large part of one of the episodes in our season spotlight. Mm-hmm. So we can just save this discussion for that. But it's just, it's very weird to me of like, oh, well, people are in crisis. So $35 meals, right. Okay, let's do that. And it's like, but couldn't you just do this all the time? I think you could then. <laughs> Well, and it, it's just a reminder for those out there who are getting takeout, who are getting um, delivery to support your local businesses and support, you know, right. if you if there are family owned restaurants in your area, they really need um, yeah. they really need the, the business. Um, if there are smaller businesses, they really, really appreciate your help. Um, I know there are plenty of people who, who are advocating, like, buy a gift card now and use it when all of this blows over that kind of a thing but um anyways that was it i I found out about that and was like oh my god i must i must tell people nobody else cares that i talked to (laughs) uh, yeah um i also i'm gonna plug real quick my sister who listeners will know from our comic-con episodes is doing a a video each day on youtube for her students in her class her fifth grade dual language class where she's reading um a chapter of harry potter and the sorcerer's stone every day so i'll put a link in the in the show notes for this if that is of interest to you enjoy it's very soothing it's very you know we're gonna sit here and sip some coffee and here's my dog Rico's her, her dog Rico Suave, and now we're going to tell terrible, bad, punny jokes and sing a song on the oh, ukulele. The jokes are my favorite part. They're so bad. My favorite part. <laughs> I mean, I, I I fully acknowledge that I some kind tune out when she starts reading Harry Potter uh-huh. because it's not Prisoner of Azkaban. So if she was reading Prisoner of Azkaban, I'd be there. <laughs> but it's 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 Philosopher's Stone, and I don't care about Philosopher's Stone. But oh, the jokes, Kate, the jokes give me life. <laughs> Uh, it's very fun and maggie's delivery is great anyway oh i will pass that along um if if you uh if you're looking for some story times i'm sure there there are lots of people doing that yeah putting up different story time videos but i figured i would mention it here because i think it's super sweet that she's doing that for her students go maggie um speaking of people doing things for the duration of shelter in place and all of that uh we are going to be doing some fun stuff too so no what are we going to be doing? Right. So starting on Monday, Monday, mm-hmm. Monday, Monday, uh, we're going to have a one a day podcast slash video cast. Um, we're still working out details, everyone. <laughs> um, of And we're going to watch one episode a day of what did we decide on Lucifer? Lucifer. Right. So we're going to do one a day of Lucifer. Um, it's not just going to be Kate and I. Uh, we have uh, corralled, harangued. Uh, beaten into submission. Um, uh, graciously welcomed. Graciously enthusiastically, welcomed. you know, recruited. Accepted. Yeah. <laughs> um, Allison Shoemaker, friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker, is going to join us for that as well. Um, and so I'm very excited about that. It'll give me something to do as my job is doesn't have anything for me to do, really. Uh, <laughs> which sucks. But 
this gives me something to do. So I'm excited about this and I'm looking forward to watching Lucifer. I'm sh- I haven't told my partner yet. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be very, very excited that I'm going to be watching an episode today, uh, which means I think she'll get to watch an episode today. Um, so I'm sure she's looking forward to this as well when I tell her about it. Uh, later. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, no, I'm very excited. And listeners, uh, we'll, we're doing this through something where you'll be able to, like, watch us discuss it before we turn it into, like, an audio file. Uh, so we'll we will all tweet out the invitation code or whatever it is for mm-hmm. it. So you can at least very, at the very least watch us discuss it and listen to us discuss it before you just listen to us discuss it. Yeah, exactly. We are, uh, and, and theoretically, if I figure out the technology, we should be able to like take uh, questions and stuff from people who are there. Um, and if people want to interact, we'll, we should be able to do that as well. But uh, we are currently planning yeah. on, we're aiming for like one thirty ish central time each day, each weekday. Yeah. And um, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but yeah, it's going to be fun. Really excited. We're trying, we're going to try to do, do it with zoom versus like crowdcast. Um, and we'll see how that goes. I've never used Zoom, so I'm learning. Yay. <laughs> but we will link it, it out. Once. And it's fairly easy. Um the I but I can also talk to my partner who's um a little bit more attuned to the Zoom and get help. A lot will be dependent on broad uh, on, on our, our internet and our bandwidth and on whether it can actually handle three videos. Yes streams at once so we'll we'll see but regardless i'm excited it's going to be super fun as listeners know i've seen all of lucifer and noel has not seen lucifer and allison has never seen lucifer so it should be an interesting conversation we'll see how it goes and uh yeah it should be fun so that's coming starting next week but for now we have uh, a full regular podcast to do not to mention at the end of the show we're gonna be talking about ugly delicious season two which dropped last week on netflix so we really like season one we figured we should check in with season two so we're going to talk about that at the end of the show but for now let's take a break listen to some music and we'll come back with our week in tv This week in TV, we're going to be talking about uh, just a few thoughts on the Colbert Late Show from home, um, as well as some full frontal from home. And then we'll move over to Top Chef All-Stars LA, which had its premiere there on season 17, guys, over at Top Chef. This was It's Like They Never Left. Then we'll talk a little drag race with World's Worst before we move on to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Take Back, and then Steven Universe Future, Together Forever and Growing Pains. We'll run things out with Legends of Tomorrow, Romeo v. Juliet, Dawn of Justness. 
So first up is Colbert and Full Frontal from Home. I'm sure there are other shows doing um, similar, like uh, podcasting and and video casting from home. Uh, I saw recently that Conan is going to be back on TBS with like shows shot from his house with an iPad, with an iPad or an iPhone, but they're going to be airing on TV. So, uh, yeah, that I, I look forward to what Conan is going to come up with. He's very creative. I'm sure that will be entertaining. Uh, but this week we had Colbert, uh, and, and Sam B. What did you think of these? How much of these did you watch? And, uh, yeah. What did you think? Right. So someone else who's doing stuff is Trevor Noah. He's doing stuff from his house. I have not watched any of it, um, Mm -hmm. but he's doing stuff from his place as well, like standard desk monologue. Um, So I watched all the Colbert stuff and I did not realize that they were going to do multiple of being at home with Sam B. Um, I only saw the first one of that with the the, the, just the glorious log chopping. (laughs) Glorious, glorious log chopping. Anyway. So I've watched all the Colbert stuff and I've watched one of the full frontal and I really sort of enjoy that kind of a approach to it. Um, the Colbert stuff was actually like aired on TV mm-hmm. um, and was shot obviously with like an iPhone or an iPad. Um, and then they just would cut to um, Jean-Baptiste who sometimes engaged with Stephen, And then they just put it up right as like the monologue segment before the rerun aired um, of whatever rerun CBS had decided to air. And so I appreciated the sort of like weird sort of like, where, where is he going to do his show from for his, for his, for his thing, this bit for this today, it's going to be in the bathtub. Uh, It's going to be in front of his fire pit. It's going to be outside on his porch ish area. It seemed like for his, the last one that they did. And so I've enjoyed it. I think one of the things that I most enjoy about this kind of a thing is how much of it still relies on that need for an audience to kind of hit, really. I mean, the jokes are funny, but it's a weird sort of isolated sort of thing where there's not an audience or not even like a small audience that laughs um, at something as well because uh, there's no give and take. And that, that feels really weird, which is why I like the Sam B stuff, I think, works better. Um, because it's Jason Jones, her husband, shooting it. Um, again, on like some sort of like mobile device. And then just watching her try to chop wood. And then she chops it. And then it's like, honey, that, that, was, the, that, was, that was the wrong log. That's just the thing that it's on. And she's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> And so that that I that I really appreciate. Um, that felt more like a bit rather than a monologue kind of deal. Um, so I think I like the same B approach better, but I do appreciate just the sh- a large amount of commitment and time that goes into the Colbert stuff. Of uh, they wrote a whole monologue, or he wrote a whole monologue, but almost certainly his staff because they still did yeah. like quarantine wild as well. Um, so like they were still working on jokes and that kind of stuff. So. I really enjoyed like the fact that Colbert's general sort of like so Catholic social justice-ness sort of thing kind of comes through and like keeping people working, keeping people employed and working, even if they can't be at the studio. So mm-hmm. I really, really liked that. Um, I am sad that they're like going on like their, vac- their pre-planned, pre-scheduled vacation. And he was like, I don't know if we're going to be back or not for when we come back from our week-long vacation. Uh, so I'm hoping that they are, because 
kind of need it. Like I look forward to those 18 minutes um, to watch on my phone when I'm doing dishes or something. And I'm going to really need it um, by the time that their vacation's done, I feel like. Uh, so yeah, that's how I'm feeling about it. I've really enjoyed it. I really like that it's here and there and that, that I have access to and that they're taking the time to do this. Um, and I'm, so I'm glad about that. How, how are you feeling about these? I thought that they were fun, but I think, um, yeah, and I, and I very much enjoyed them. I'm glad that they did them. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. It would work better if they shifted the beats of the monologue to, to match like the not having an audience. So like yeah. they're, they're trying to maintain the form and the tone without having an audience there. And it just doesn't work the same way. So if they do come back, I imagine it'll be a little bit more flexible. I should hope it would be a little more flexible. I thought some of the stuff with Jean-Baptiste Baptiste worked well, but there is a clear lag, which made yes. when they were, he was singing Danny boy and Batiste was trying to play with him. And just like, I'm sure other people didn't notice it, but I'm like, no, the lag, no, the chords aren't right, and it's it's not anyone's fault, but just this is a, this is a bad idea. And then you just cut to Batiste, and he nails it because, <laughs> of course, he's amazing yes. at this. And yeah. then there isn't a you know, it's like I needed someone to like splice and just like kind of like in the editing, just move the audio over slightly, but then it wouldn't have matched the video. So like, yeah, that stuff doesn't work. Um, I do think that um. If they are willing to just pay uh, Baptiste more, they should just have a segment where he plays a song each day because yes. that, you know, that would be very soothing and fun for people um, if if he's willing to do that. And certainly, like, if, for those who don't know, Yo-Yo Ma has been posting, like, a video each day of comfort music, like, the comfort food of classical music. That is a comfort food, Kate. We both we both agree on that. That is a comfort <laughs> food. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, but having um, that that energy with the two of them is works works well. But again, it really suffers with that slight delay in timing. So trying to find a different way to do that, but where you're still drawing on that familiar energy would be nice. And and so certainly, like you said, just it's just this little bit of familiarity and normalcy, like a normal part of your daily routine is like yeah. going onto YouTube and watching the late night videos while you, you know, do some laundry or something. So having even some version of that is, you know, surprisingly impactful. I, I also really enjoyed the Sambi chopping wood thing and I look forward to catching up with the rest of the, the se- sequence and series and I haven't done that uh, so far, but I agree with what you're saying because um, Full Frontal is used to doing those taped segments. There's more like that's more recently in their wheelhouse and so it's easier yes. for them to to not have their their comedy as affected by the lack of an audience but as, as yeah. affected by the lack of the studio audience so um yeah we'll see what what people do i might check out some of the trevor noah noah stuff i'm not all that interested in the fallon and kimmel stuff but you know, yeah i know i don't care I would love to see some of the Seth Meyers people. Let's let's have a video yeah. with with Amber Ruffin, please. Yeah, and I mean, I I keep thinking about that, but at the same time, and this is sort of like where I fall on like, yes, I I would like these people to keep doing this, but at the same time, I don't want them to either. At the I don't want time. them to have to, you know. Right, that's the thing, and I think that's kind of where like the Myers show is very much like no focus on being with your family. I'm going to focus on being with my wife and two kids. Mm-hmm. Everyone else focus and do be with who you need to be with or 
yeah, however you're going to do this, we're going to do this and just we're going to take that time. And I think that that's still really important that that's something that happens, Um, which is also why, like, if they're going to kind of keep doing this, like, I think Colbert just doing weird things Mm -hmm. makes more sense to me Um, rather than doing a full on monologue and just doing a kind of silly or like a cooking show type of thing or something Mm -hmm. along those lines of like, here's how we're going to set this up and it'll be shorter than a monologue and we'll just post it and it'll be digital only. But it also like just depend on like what CBS wants to do. But I think that's better maybe on some level, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough to know what will work. And I'm sure they'll be trying different things for a while to, to see what, (laughs) unfortunately I think they will be trying things for a while because I think we're going to be in this for a while. Um, Yes, we are. Which is, you know, read the Imperial College report, guys. Just make sure you do it when you are up to it. Uh, anyways, uh, so so we'll see we'll see what solutions people have. But certainly, you know, like like we were saying earlier pre- in previous episodes, there, there will be a lot of stuff on YouTube. There will be a lot of people who are innovating and coming up with new solutions. Um, so we'll keep following that. Over on Top Chef, we had the premiere of All Stars LA, and I was so ready for this premiere. Yes, I was very I was very stoked <laughs> under the current circumstances. I'm like, yes, bring back these familiar chefs. Um, in general pretty much all the chefs are like it's a high caliber of returning chefs they have some names you know from the earlier seasons but also just almost everybody they're bringing back they brought back because they could contend um there's less of a feeling of there being some filler chefs you know um and this premiere they jump right in right it's it's like they never left it's like they never left and they start with the mise en place race and i thought this was a fun way to do it yeah i mean starting with the mise en place race is just it's just brutal, and I love them for it. Uh-huh. And just how Calicchio was just like, look, man, I'm tired of you not getting these artichokes prepped correctly, Bocaggio. <laughs> just do it. Do it correctly. Padma was pissed. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think she should be. Yeah. Um, But no, I think you're right. It's like, they've got a really good group of folks who were willing to come back and do this again. But also, I think one of the other big things is, like, they got a group of people who were... Just really good personalities as well. Like mm-hmm. everyone's generally like really, really likable, or you like them in their season. Um, when they were on originally, like I really like Kevin in his season. I like Kevin less now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that just everyone sort of has matured in different ways, and I'm really eager to see those kinds of things. Or or they've been around so long within various like cooking personalities. Like Brian Malarkey has been doing a lot of work on Food Network um, that I'm just like, it feels like he didn't leave. <laughs> um, so I'm excited about that. And just, I'm just because like with other like all-star seasons or like with other sort of return type of things, it's just like, no, we can just do a bunch of really ridiculous hard stuff right off the bat. We don't need to ease any of them into this. Because A, they know, and B, they've all changed and grown, like, developed as chefs. Um, so we can just be mean to them. And it's going to be great because they're also competing for so much money this time. Just a lot of money. $250,000 for those who have not watched yet. So much money. Yeah. So I'm very excited. Um, I'm already, like, just, yeah. I'm, and I also really appreciated the ease at which they reintroduced everyone. 
which I really, really appreciated because I was just like, oh, Stephanie, I just, I remembered, but I didn't really remember. And then they just showed the clip and I just went, right. Oh, that's right. Right. Oh. That bullshit, that complete and total bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just like, yeah, no, I'm here for all of this. So I'm very excited about them being back. Um, how did you feel about this? How did you feel about, as, <laughs> as someone who balked at, um, British Bake Off making people cook open over an open flame. I was okay with it here. Oh, yeah. um, this is the kind of nonsense we expect at Tough Chef. Exactly. So how did you feel about this episode and just the sort of like the reintroduction of a lot of these people? Well, my feelings are very much shaped by the fact that I'm glad that my girl Leanne Wong did not get eliminated. So mm-hmm. That helped a lot. (laughs) Um, But no, I think, you know, again, this is a really high caliber of chef, but also, like you said, a good balance of personalities. It feels like people are there for the right reasons, which is mostly to make a a bunch of money. But also, it it doesn't feel like there is as much just, like, toxic ego. There's definitely lots of ego, but it doesn't feel toxic in the same way. And uh, that that it has sometimes in the past and that, you know, it also doesn't feel like – necessarily it's we're designing this entire season so a person can win like the closest right. they come with that yes. with is voltaggio and carol uh but but really there are plenty of people there who could contend and be there all the way to the, the end and really give them a run for yes. their money um so obviously i already mentioned i'm a big fan of leanne i thought i you know again you they cut to when she had to leave and it was such bullshit but you know the right call for her to make at that time yes. um, it was the only thing she could do but like the fact that she was put in a situation Right. Where she had to leave was the bullshit. Um, so so that was another very memorable one. Uh, I'm very much here for Nini. Excited yes, for what she's going to bring. Do you have any other people you're going to be particularly watching? I mean, I'm very excited about Nini too. I'm very glad she's back. I'm very excited about Leanne. Um, I'm really excited about Melissa King as well, who's done a lot of really great work since the show. Um, but I'm definitely keeping an eye on Eric because Eric's food is delicious, apparently, and just, like, really smart thinking. Um, So I'm really excited to see what Eric's going to do again, uh, because he was in season 13, so it hasn't been that long for him. I don't know, he was in 16, so he was just, like, last year. Um, So I'm I'm really excited that he's back, because I really liked Eric's Eric's approach. Um, But... I think that we're both going to keep an eye on Jennifer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Three times I've done this. <laughs> I loved the who here promised, swore they would never be back and so many hands went up. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so I think Jennifer is sort of the person to keep an eye on of like, yeah, no, I've done this three times. And last time I was, I was just terrible. And that was only two years ago. <laughs> that was two seasons ago. Uh, so yeah, so I think Jennifer is like the one from a reality show competition thing is like the one to keep an eye on of like, I just want this so bad at this point. I just, I need yeah. it. I need it. Yeah. Um, but I think Stephanie's also the one to watch because her elimination is just complete and total nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So, and yeah, I'm kind of glad that Joe's already gone. <laughs> <laughs> When the first thing he did was was pasta for quick fire, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was just like, did you learn nothing? I do not doubt his pasta is amazing at his restaurant. Right. But, like, dude, do you not remember what a quick fire is? Yeah. Anyways. No, he doesn't. 
But also, props to Ryan Rotaggio for finally winning a quick fire. Yeah, right? <laughs> After never living, winning one at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fun. I'm very glad to have, you know, it's like comfort comfort food TV is what I want right now. Yes. And this, this fits that perfectly. Um, well, and speaking of, let's go on to our next show, RuPaul's Drag Race, World's Worst. Uh, episode three, two for them. We yes. the, the Improv challenge, right off the bat. Yes. They're not messing right. around this season. What did you think? So I really enjoyed this kind of idea of, and I'm talking very specifically about the improv challenge for the world's worst, um, that I really liked the approach that everyone sort of had. Um, I liked all, I generally liked the concepts behind each of their groups. And you may need to remind me about the groups overall, because I can Mm -hmm. remember the fruits. The, The fruity patooties was that one. There was the Del Rio trio. The Squirrel Friends. Squirrel Friends, and then the three people with one brain. Yes. Um, right. So is that all four? Yes. yes. That's all four. Um, and so I liked all of these as, like, kind of concepts, but I also appreciated how they demonstrated, like, everyone's sort of, like, group personality in terms of, we have ideas, but we're going to get, like, either rolled over by everyone else, or we're going to just not know what the hell to do. Um, and I appreciated like how this made things really apparent, but also like gave people like Heidi just suddenly, no, I've got this. Like, oh, I didn't know type of thing. And having that realization like early in the season, I think is really, really good for both an audience, but also for a contestant. So I really enjoyed that overall. And I thought it was just solid. Um, which we'll call it, and I think the elimination is the correct elimination because Dahlia hit a Dahlia hit a, Dahlia hit a ceiling in the first episode. <laughs> I feel like, and then just this was like hitting it again. Um, so I was just like, yeah, yeah, you, this was the correct choice here, and so I was I was happy about that. And yeah, I think that my only other thing, and I'm going to defend this concept if you d- disagree with me, but. I think um, um, Aiden Zan's idea Zane. of just being slight Zane being slightly off by like a beat was a good idea, and the fact that they kept rejecting that was a bad idea because it was a really smart, I think, concept. And that's what they ended up doing, and that's what the judges yeah. really liked. They specifically referenced how they had to keep looking at each other's like faces to line up, and that was what was so funny. And I'm just sitting there, and, th- and then when they go to. Like after the fact, when they're de dragging and getting ready for their runway, the Britta and and Sherry are still saying that they, you know, they're still dragging Aiden. When Aiden yeah. was responsible for the bit, the part of their bit that the judges actually liked, and um, I was highly suspicious that there was a lot of editing to this episode to cut out Sherry Pie, who ended up winning uh, the challenge. Um, but the original cut aired internationally, and okay. All they, they did, they cut out stuff, but it was stuff of Britta and Sherry being mean to Aiden. It was more of that. There wasn't more to the actual sketch. Because the actual sketch wasn't funny. There, there was, yeah. It was like, like the end was kind of funny, but the actual bit itself was not all that interesting. And I thought, personally, I thought the Del Rio trio was way better. All three of yes, them. Yes, no, Del, Del Rio trio was by far and away the best group. Like, hands down. And I feel like Gigi did not get enough props for, for her timing as a pulling dead body. focus, right. No, like, if you're pulling focus as a dead body, that's amazing. 
Like, yeah. that's just really, really good. But it's also, like, it speaks to that group in particular, really knowing exactly what to do and how to use each of themselves, but only knowing each other for, like, a day. Um, that I think that's just really, really efficient. And how much to use of each of them, too. Yes, exactly. Um, I do think that a lot of that Aiden stuff is just snobbery and mm-hmm. just, like, classism as well within, like, the confines of, like, drag race of, like, yeah, no, I, I don't perform. I, 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 I kind of can't. Because um, I live in fucking Ackworth, Georgia, um, and I have to commute to Atlanta to do anything, but also it's an hour away. And I, I think that there's a lot of that kind of snobbery of, like, you haven't earned your place here type of deal, but also you had the really good idea here. So I'm really curious to see that carrying over into, like, this week's episode of, like, everyone really looking down at Aiden for their basic lack of experience for the most part. Um, and how that's going to inform how everyone relates to them. And I'm just like, don't, don't do it because it's gross. It's a bad look. It's just a real bad look on everyone. Um, cause it works against the kind of concept of like, no drag's meant to be the celebratory sort of thing. And then, yeah, it's competition, but at the same time, not everyone's privileged enough to be in the scene of New York where it's just like, yeah, we can just do brunches. It's just like, nope. That's not how this works in everywhere. So, yeah, I yeah i i wholeheartedly I wholeheartedly agree. There's a great um, exchange between Aiden and the guest judge this coming week, which is Leslie Jones um, in Untucked, okay. which I know you don't get. Um, that is yeah. terrific. It's terrific. Okay, um, and I, I'll tell you more about it after you've seen the episode because uh, there's it's spoiler adjacent. Um, but. Okay. Yeah, but it's very much on that theme. And uh, yeah, Leslie Jones pulls focus too much by the end of her guest judging in a way that's sure. very, like, it's they should have cut down. But she's great. <laughs> she's always, right, she's, that's the thing. She's, she's really like, great. You, you hired Leslie yeah. to do this. Like, that's just, that's what's going to happen. You just got to roll with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's very good. Is it, uh, like, better or worse than Joel McHale pulling focus, though? Oh, no, it's so much better. No, yeah, it's just, like... Okay. Like, it's great, and then when we get... You get to the lip sync, like, there's... It needed to be about the queens. Like, that's when it needs to be completely Mm -hmm. about the queens, and there's just... Because she's really funny. There's just too much reaction shots of her, you know, kind of the thing. Sure, sure, Um, sure, sure, sure. I got you. And that's not on her, as far as I'm concerned. That's on the editing. So... Uh, yeah. Anyways, more on that next week. Uh, let's go over to Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the take back. So we're talking about this. We don't have that much to say. I don't have that much to say other than I thought it was well-balanced. Um, but Nicole Byer is just so good as, as Trudy Judy and, and, and her fascination with butts and just this whole, I mean, I just loved everything about this episode. It was so much fun. And this is the kind of like the energy and the, the pacing of it, I think is right. Like perfect, you know, smack dab on the nose, exactly what it needs. And it was just a really nice way to pivot off the previous episode, which was also so strong um, with with ding dong. So I, I really like this one. Yeah, I think that well balanced is like the correct approach because it's really easy for um, Judy to overpower um, an episode and just kind of consume it. And so I think that there's a really good balance of A, B, and C plots here um, that 
the C plot is fun. It's silly. Um, the payoff joke for it is appropriate. Um, but the B plot, I think, really does a nice job of pivoting off last week's episode of like Holtz back in the captain's command. I'm really impressed that it took the many episodes to do that. And but then to do like a reaffirmation of this is who you are, really not this one thing that you that you screwed up. It's all these other things, but also it just allows up for a lot of Holt and Rosa side stuff, which mm. is like has become the best part of the show in a lot of ways. Um, so I really really enjoy that. But the A plot's just really delightful because by now seven seasons in, you're just like, all right, what's 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 the what's the flip? What's the heist? What's the trick? for this particular type of Judy plot. And then that it was, I wanted you to arrest my friends so you could be in my wedding. It was just mm-hmm. so good and perfect because my thinking was, is that they had actually convinced him to steal the diamonds yeah. for yeah, them. Yeah. Like that's where that's, I think that's just like the assumption at this point is that was going to be it. But then it's like, no, I just wanted you to arrest them so you could be my best man. And it's just like, Oh, that's why I like this show. It zagged on me real good. So no, this was a very good episode. And, Cole Byer was just great. Just butts. There's 14 of them. Like you said, I could have. <laughs> I feel like she's contending for a sixth uh, performer, sixth, sixth woman this year. Cause she's, she's great here. She's very good on the unicorn and she's, you know, obviously her, her main oh, hosting gosh, she's gig. She's so good on the unicorn. Yeah. So yeah, lots, always fun when Nicole Byer comes by. Um, next up we have Steven Universe Future and we had Together Forever and Growing Pains. And again, really thoughtful, powerful episodes uh, that, that really made sense and fit Stephen's growth. Um, and also Stephen, while I fully understand and can like buy, you know, his choice here to propose to Connie, like, what are you doing, dude? You're 16. You're 16. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Greg, you, you can't leave your son alone. He's. I know he saved the universe and everything, but he's clearly massively behind in some other ways. And the gems are helping, and everybody's helping. But he also just needs his human dad there to go. Like, wait, what? No, 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 no! Stop! Pump the brakes. Yeah, and managers don't need to be on tour. That's like that's. They don't have to be on tour. I think it's great that Greg's on tour. He does not need to be on tour. Um and. But at the same time, like, I really appreciated the fact that there was no future in which he doesn't do it. Um, and that kind of inevitability of that action, like, that's how both desperate and scared he is, is that there is there is no future in which he doesn't attempt to propose to Connie to be Stabani forever. Um, and I think that that's just... It's just perfectly sad, but also a really good encapsulation of where Stephen is and how he's struggling to reconcile everything as a threat, basically, as the end of the world. And I <laughs> I really liked that whole bit of, well, this is all the things, things that happened in the first season, but I haven't talked to you about the seasons <laughs> th- two through six at all mm. yet about all those other traumas I've had. <laughs> Um, so I, I just liked that kind of a thing. And I really liked that, that that was the answer. It was very clear that that was the answer of what was going on. And I'm excited about the turn to answering, how do you control this? How do you shift your worldview enough? And how do you get over trauma? How do you get over PTSD? And well, not over, but how do you 
find coping mechanisms that allow you to function. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how they do that. My partner and I were kind of talking about how really kind of significant it was that this is a kind of narrative that you're getting in a show like Steven Universe, even if they're very much kind of pulling a Harry Potter of the show has grown up a lot in terms. So now we can deal with something like this. Um, as opposed to we could not do this in like the first season because our target audience was not ready for this <laughs> so explicitly. And so I'm, it's again, also like Harry Potter Adventure Time is also a very good example of we're going to do it like this. And so I'm, I really like that. So I really like both of these episodes. They're just very strong. And they finally gave us Connie, like in a big way of where you and I, and also my partner were like, yeah, no, this is all great. Where's Connie, show? <laughs> Give us some Connie. They're like, we have a plan. Just stick with us. We have a plan. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Just be patient, guys. Be patient. Um, did anything else like stick out to you about this episode? Um, about these episodes, I should say. Oh, well, just Sapphire and Ruby, they love love. Oh, they love love so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of Garnet knowing better. But Ruby and Sapphire individually not knowing right. better. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. In my brain, that means Stevani knows better too. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Next up is Legends of Tomorrow, Romeo v. Juliet, Dawn of Justinus. And the return of Book Club in this episode and Mona was yes. absolutely wonderful. They're like... The, the attention given in this episode, because so, so much of it is with Ray saying goodbye, the fact that they gave such equal weight to Nora saying goodbye was a surprise and was really nice. I really appreciated it. Um, it's just ridiculous and silly for pretty much everything in here. Um, but, I, you know, it's just it's so nice and it d- still feels so rare to see this kind of weight and time given to uh, platonic male friendships. Yes. And, and that's just a, a beautiful thing. And comparing, not comparing and contrasting, um, the, the the girls group and the guys group plus Charlie, um, and just and like the strength of the connections and the having the ultimate Romeo and Juliet tragic goodbye connection be be Nate and Ray. It's just really lovely and um, you know, a nice way to, to send the show off. Also, their Romeo and Juliet was pretty pretty delightful and you know having their they're like, Who are we gonna have be Romeo? We're gonna have Constantine be Romeo. Partially for the accent, but also just because we want to make him do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was fun. It was good. Right. And that's the thing. Like, I think this episode is on, a, like, a procedural level of Legends of Tomorrow. Very slight. Um, not only because we get the thing very early, but it, there's just never a sense of the stakes to the episode. But also, who the hell cares? Because it's so character propelled and so character driven. Um, even down to we're going to give Mona another goodbye sort of thing because our first one was fine, but it also kind of truncated because we had this really high concept premiere to do in relation to the crossover. So we can do it again. And I really, really liked that they also made space for that. But no, just the entire layering of doing the Ray and Nate stuff um, was just really, really good on just both the platonic level, but also just on a delightful character level, I think. Uh, Nate was just this character that the show, I'm still contending, just doesn't know what to do with. But 
they know that relationship and how it works and what it does for both of these characters. And I think giving it such weight and giving it such emotional pump and then, like you said, parallel editing it against the Romeo and Juliet balcony stuff, um, I think is just really gorgeous and really lovely and really meaningful in how that gets meaning through editing. Um, Because it's what editing is about especially when it's executed here is about providing meaning. It's always what editing is about is providing meaning. And I've just really, really appreciated that. Um, but the other thing I appreciate is the fact that they didn't have to convince Constantine to dress up this, this time around. Cause they always have to convince him to. <laughs> and he's just like, Oh no, I'm totally down for dressing up in Elizabethan garb, apparently. Um, but it's really just, it was really delightful and very good. The only thing I will say, the only thing I will say is that I'm very upset that we did not get to really see any scenes of Romeo v. Juliet, Dawn of Justness. We get to see a little bit of rehearsals and some makeup, but we don't get to see it. And I'll take the legends doing Shakespeare on various levels of good to bad. Um, because oh, Sarah should Sarah should not be allowed to do any acting. <laughs> and I like that she's a bad actor. I think that's just really delightful versus how gung-ho and excited that Ava is to do acting, even if it's not particularly good. She's just committed. Um, but then Constantine and um, Zari are like very natural. And I really like that because it speaks to both of their characters. So the levels in which, again, the show understands its characters, which is something we've been hitting really hard this season, just comes through the forefront in this basically prolonged sketch that we get. And it's just, it's really good. It's just very good. And this show's very good. I still don't know what Ray's going to do, like, as a thing. And I want that question answered. Because it feels like a question that needs to be answered for someone like Ray in particular. As someone who, this was his thing. Like, he has been the most pro-legend legend legend from the get-go. Of, like, I need need something to have meaning for myself. Because everything else I've done has either fallen apart or died. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And I need I need something. And while I've got this marriage and it's great and I love it and I love her, I need something. And I'm I'm really curious about what that's gonna be. Um but also just all the book club stuff of like I'm okay with the scooters coming back because that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever Sarah is drunk, it's funny. Whenever she's pretending she's not drunk when she's drunk, it's extra funny. So that is delightful. When she's tearing the, the you know, tearing into the guys for their irresponsibility. And they're like, wait a sec, are you are you sloshed? <laughs> it's great. Um the the surprisingly knowledgeable stripper, also funny. Um yes. and, and then um the, the the ending though, I agree. Like uh having like that that door to random suburbia is like this was yes. not earned. It was just yeah. all too rushed. It would have been so much more impactful if it got to breathe a little bit. So whatever happened behind the scenes that necessitate, I mean, I'm guessing budgets, but whatever happened to necessitate them writing off Ray and Nora, uh, if it if there had just been a few, like a little bit of a gap, a few episodes in between where you could see Ray come to this decision and, or, and, like, and establish what he's going to be doing and all these other things, it would have been a lot like it would it would have fit a little uh a lot more um comfortably for me so that was my only little yeah. nitpick and i think that's fair um if only because like 
I mean, I know that they have just like shorter episode orders that they can work with, and they had to devote a whole episode to the crossover. Um, and but also like it's one of those instances of what necessitated this is the writers and the producers went, well, they're happy now, so they need to leave. Um, because that's it. Because Brandon Routh and Courtney Ford did not want to leave. <laughs> they were just like, no, we'd like to keep doing this wacko show for as long as we can. Um, but it's one of those things of, no, they're happy, so we don't know what to do with them anymore. Um, but also because they're happy, they don't fit on the sh- show of misfits anymore to which i go but sarah and ava both seem happy-ish so your your logic doesn't hold up that like there's conflict between the two of them but also it feels like a lot of their conflict was developed uh, was resolved to a certain degree earlier in the season so like this whole thing last week with wild dog asking sarah to come back to star city was a non-starter as like a conflict between the two of them so this idea that they're happy, so we need to get rid of them because they don't belong on the show anymore is just kind of silly, and it doesn't fit with what you're just putting on the show as well. Is is that um, what the writers have said? Yes. Oh yes, yeah, that's, that's stupid. What, yeah, no, that's Mick, that's what they've said. Is like Charlie, yeah. right? Yeah, Nate. I do appreciate that Dominic Purcell has been like, I am not leaving the show. <laughs> um, don't worry. I know I've got this whole kid storyline going. I am not leaving the show (laughs) because this is, he's not saying this, but you also have to know that Dominic Purcell is just thinking, this is the easiest job I have ever had. (laughs) (laughs) I just get to growl a little bit every week. And this is the best job and I am forever thankful to Wentworth Miller for talking me into doing the flash. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good times. Well, what one's your week in TV? Um, I think I'll give it to legends of tomorrow just because it's exactly what I need right now. Mm -hmm. So it's legends of tomorrow. Uh, What about you? Yeah, I think so, too. But shout out to Nine Nine because I really did enjoy that a lot. So Uh, another fun, very, uh, very helpful week of TV. I appreciate not having a super challenging, dark, twisted show that I'm making myself watch, which is, if you noticed, Noel, why I have completely abandoned The Sinner. Very glad to have done so. Anyways, uh, now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer, and come back with our discussion of season two of Ugly Delicious. We'll be right back. You should sit down and eat with us. People will find the things that are going to be delicious. Deliciousness as a whole is like a meme. It's going to find a way to survive. That's insane. <laughs> it smells delicious in here. You think this is delicious? It's delicious. Do you guys have a steak knife? Yeah, this is it. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. I've never had this flavor before. This changed the course of human history. Oh, lamb's testicles. My favorite. Very squishy. You guys take this for granted. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm waiting for Indian food to have its moment. That guy over there recognized you, didn't recognize me. It really, really deep blow to my Indian pride. I'm calling you to tell you that Grace is pregnant and we're having a baby. I cannot wait for you to have your own kids. It's gonna be easy. (laughs) There's a moment of reckoning right now between old Dave Chang and dad Dave Chang. I'm trying to think, what does a third grader want to eat? Probably nothing that you've ever cooked. (laughs) People that need to be fed the best are fed the worst. She's just showing me how to make this because it's an easy dish to make for the baby. What do you think, sir? (laughs) 
It almost brings cooking back to why you cared about it to begin with. That's what our humanity needs to invest in, is more connection. Without community, a restaurant is just what? Eating. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, you're going to start oh. a baby food company. Now, how could you not start something called Baby Chang's? And you honestly look a little bit like a baby. A little bit. I'm not only the chef, I'm also a client. <laughs> That was a trailer for season two of Netflix's Ugly Delicious, which is the, the I guess, cooking and food show from uh, David Chang and also, of course, uh, Netflix. Season one had eight episodes, right? Ten? Yes. Eight. That travel just really focused each episode on a different type of food that is not respected anywhere near the level it should be in the, in the food world um, and really traveled around the world to examine those types of food and to praise them and to, to really dive in with why they have the status they, they do um, and what, you know, what, what that connects to the larger, you know, conversations around uh, sociopolitical um, status and, and history that goes into, you know, everything, but certainly our food. This season only has four episodes, which I did not realize until I got to the fourth episode and there wasn't a fifth one. Um, but I'm still glad that we got it. Uh, the, we have episodes on baby food. We have episodes on Indian food. We have episodes on, on, uh, like Lebanese and well, air quotes, Middle Eastern food. Diaspora food. Yeah. And we have an episode on steak, uh, and uh, certainly the the tradition of steakhouses uh, in America. But you know, going into a larger discussion of conservation of uh, of just the future of meat in uh, our culture, and certainly in America, um, and yeah, a lot of other topics as well. So, how did the season strike you? And um, was it a worthy follow up? And if so, what was your favorite episode? And if not, what what was missing? So I think part of what was missing was the fact that it, because it's only four episodes, it very much feels like that the production for this season basically got split to do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm -hmm. And then they did a second season of Ugly Delicious. Um, this is kind of how I feel about it, because breakfast, lunch, and dinner was four episodes. And then we get four episodes of Ugly Delicious. So it kind of feels like they just kind of split it, um, which is fine. But I also, there's just like a, you can, I feel the productionness of these four episodes of sometimes Chang just kind of disappears for a little while, um, which I don't feel like was the case in season one. Not, not nearly um, so much. Not nearly so much. And while I think that's fine, I also feel like I really like Chang and I really like his sort of acknowledgement of his limitations and how frustrated he is by those limitations. But I also miss the fact that he just constantly photographs everything. And it's kind of my favorite part about this show. <laughs> um, I think that's just really delightful. Um, and I think that that just kind of gets lost a little bit in these shuffles. Um, less so in like kids menu, but that's because kids menu is very much not an episode of ugly delicious while being an episode of ugly delicious which is not a critique of that episode because that episode is arguably the best episode of the whole season um, in how personal it is. But I think that after Kids Menu, it's just kind of a steady, I don't want to say decline, but like there's just little dips, basically. Like if you watch it in the order that it's listed is sort of the best way to do it. 
Um, but I, I still really like the show. I like the approach. I just don't think that season two is quite as strong as season one. Um, and definitely nothing stands up to like the fried chicken episode of season one, which is just perfect. Um, but it also, it doesn't even really stand up to like the pizza episode as well, which is just delightful in how angry everyone is about pizza. Um, so there's like, there's degrees of that here, but it just never, for me, it just never hit those same heights. Even if I did find, particularly Don't Call It Curry and As The Meat Turns, deeply, deeply informative about a lot of things. Um, But it just never kind of clicked as strongly into place for me. Um, So I don't think it's as good as season one, but I still think it's definitely worth watching. I definitely liked it more than Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. Um, So, yeah. How did you feel about this? What's, what, what? What stood out for you in particular um, compared to season one? Well, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Much stronger than breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And when you said that about like the production being split, it's like, oh, oh, that would that would make sense. And we, we should have just given us eight yes. episodes of Ugly Delicious. Um, but I also would be shocked if a big part of the shift in um, Chang's presence is not the fact that he, his wife had a baby. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> Clearly. this is also something to consider as well. Yeah. Well, they were, yeah, in the time that they were doing this, um, they were filming this. So I, for me, the, the strongest episode is Kids Menu, but I also did really enjoy the the zoom in on Indian food and Don't Call It Curry and also As the Meat Turns. Um, th- for me, the steak episode was interesting and informative and like it was a solid episode, but there was very little there that I had not already thought about and that I did not already know. Um, so that one felt a little less um, curious, I guess. I felt a little more straightforward. But um, And also, I don't know that it fits with Ugly Delicious as a brand because most people wouldn't look at a steak and say that's ugly or like a steak is, is so prized, which the episode discusses is so prized in food culture in America that like, like people spend hundreds of dollars on steak and in the, in the episode, they spend so much money on steak. Uh, so clearly it's something that is very prized in, in culinary circles. So that was, uh, so, you know, it, it just didn't match as well with the other ones. I thought, uh, I, but I did really, really like the examination, like you said, in that first episode of, yes, it's about kids food, but it's also equally, if not more about being a parent as a chef being a parent in the restaurant in- industry and what that means and what the rules are and which rules are, um, appropriate and which rules are a bunch of bullshit put there to encourage uh, and, and do everything you can to to keep women out of the kitchen um, and to ensure that uh, men who are in the kitchen don't have to are, are, are not expected to to be an equal parent and to be an equal partner um, and so it's just very um yeah I thought that that was a really interesting element to it and certainly something that I didn't see as much explored in season one and that I thought you know, there was certainly space to do. So this was a good opportunity to do that here. Um, yeah. So, so it, it was, it was this blend, right. Of there were both more and also fewer celebrity cameos in a way yes. that was interesting. Uh, I thought they were much better managed in this uh, season than in the previous one. That seemed like there were more specific reasons for people, the people who showed up to show up. Um, if even just like, around celebrity like personas and stuff 
Right. Well, I'm not going to get mad at Nick Kroll showing up to feed a baby who does not want that pee puree. Constantly feeding that baby pee puree just so they they can watch his face. Um, Like, I'm not going to get upset about it. (laughs) It's just the most adorable reaction. Like, because the baby is such a happy baby until you feed the baby peas. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, You really want to eat that table, though. Man. Yeah, well, it's a delicious, delicious table, obviously. It, it goes without saying. Uh, <laughs> I thought that, you know, watching the Indian episode or the Indian cuisine episode, um, yes. it was so... It was it felt that felt like the one that had this this clearest parallel to the Chinese food episode from the first season, and I would have liked a little more engaging with that topic and, like, those parallels back and forth between because it it did start to feel very following a similar pattern and like the beats as they hit the beats it really did match what we had seen in the the episode around chinese food and that's also part of the point right of this this universal and this continuing uh mystification but also complete uh disrespect of regional cuisine rather than like this monolithic american interpretation of it as one thing right so as orange chicken versus as you know chicken tiki masala and and some of that so so like there were so many beats and obviously as a viewer you can connect those dots but i would have liked a little bit more curiosity around that and reflection around that from Chang, uh, having him as the through line, you know, and I was thinking about breakfast, lunch, and dinner as well, and why this works for me so much better than that. And I think it's because in Ugly Delicious, David Chang is the celebrity that he's bringing to different places to try stuff. Yes. Instead yeah. of having him with someone else who is not knowledgeable, you know, so instead he gets to just ask the questions um, of the experts instead of having an extra extraneous celebrity there. Um, so, yeah. I think I think this just this form it just works much better, but not having that through line in the same way made it feel a little more fractured. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's fair. I think fractured just describes this season a lot more, apart from kids' menu, which I think is really focused. Um, and I think a lot of that, like you said, just boils down to Chang. Um, but I also f- do think that there's um, what should I call it, um, like. I also think that there's a lot of value in Don't Call It Curry in that our primary, we get two celebrities in that, but like the one that I'm most excited about and the one that I wanted to keep going back to was Padma Lakshmi and because they're cooking in her place. Like, I just, I like that as a concept of, all right, we've got our celebrity, let's cook in her space because A, she's a chef, B, she's a cookbook author, C, she's available. Um, as opposed to taking Ansari and going to India, um, which is fun. But I was also just like, but I like all this stuff at his house, way, his parents' house far more than watching him and Chang in India. Really. Be tourists, yeah. Uh, yeah, be tourists in India, because it's better when it's Chang being a tourist in India and figuring all this stuff out. But it also, ha- it also... I'm going to say all this, but then I'm also going to say it also works really well with the through line of that episode of like, and sorry, also knows nothing because people who these prized recognized chefs from India also know nothing. 
<laughs> about their own co- own country's cuisine to a certain extent. Um, which is one of the tail ends that we get when they go to, uh, what is it, Luckdow? Um, that they're just like, oh, yeah, no, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't know. We've never been here. And just the degrees to which that the culinary experience is different here, there, and there within the same country, I think is just really fascinating. But it just, the, the, there's the connective tissue, I think, just gets lost when Cheng's not around. And that's that's kind of frustrating, um, which is why, like, as the meat turns, which is their episode about Turkish food, Lebanese food, Syrian food, just diaspora sort of like mingling type of thing, um, I think is really good because he's pre- present for so much more of it um, in no small part because of his restaurant in which he's like, no, we're going to do schwabber for everything. Um, but then people are angry about it. And I don't understand why. Um, and I think that's that it spurs from a discussion of something that's like Kids Menu, deeply personal, because it's about his business. But then also just like, I don't understand why everyone's so upset that I'm doing this. Because I'm just doing Korean food just on a vertical spit instead. And yet people are upset about this. And I don't understand why. And I think exploring those kinds of tastes and everything um, is also really good. Just the whole discussion of like, no, there are actually three types of falafels. And I'm just like, I knew that, but also I didn't know the difference. I just, I just thought the ones had the little, little indentation in it, and that was it. And because I've only ever had like the standard falafel with the uh, coriander and parsley, um, standard air quotes. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I liked that as well. You know, those kinds of explainers and conversations that just really, you know effective and fun. And what I appreciate about Chang as a host is that he is not worried at this point, if he ever, you know, was previously about being, uh, coming off as, as a, as foolish or not knowing he's, he's not posturing. He's fully, uh, comfortable acknowledging what he does not know and wanting to learn. And, and when he, he feels, if he says something that, um, is less considered than he will hear himself say it and then wonder why that is out loud. And then instead yes. of backing away from that, examine it. And so that just, it that leads to much more thoughtful and interesting conversations. It does, which is sort of why like the steak episode kind of works, but also won't push out of its boundaries, which is, I think the biggest problem with it of like, there's a discussion about we're the problem with food culture. But then the show just never like fully pushes itself out of that of concept, which gets like back to like the top of the show of like a restaurant that charges $300 per person for a meal is a problem. Um, but the show just never fully wants to engage that because at the same time of like Chang with his other chefs in Australia, eating at this steak canteen, basically, um, but then we're cut against them smelling all this dry rubbed um, steak and going like basically just salivating over these over this steak and going like, yeah, no, this the fact that you're doing this is why this other thing is so novel. <laughs> Interrogate this more and how you're just encouraging this kind of nonsense on the show in which you're interrogating. Um, so I think that's 
that's good, but also at the same time, it's just like it's not good enough. Um, and that's uh, and also just steak. I, steak weirdly feels like too big of a topic for the show, um, which is a wild thing to say. But when it you feels too small in, for me. But when you shoehorn in like the environmental aspects of it as well, um, it just it kind of veers off focus a little bit for me. Um, and then they go to like the alternative meat concept, and it's just like no alternative meat should just be a whole episode. Like that's just a whole episode. Like like that's that's an entire episode of Ugly Delicious for me. Is let's interrogate alternative meats because alternative meats are just ugly. And this gets back to your idea of like steak is not in a in the culinary experience it's not an ugly thing even though i find pieces of raw steak really gross and i don't eat red meat like at all like i barely touch it like i'll have brisket sometimes if my partner orders brisket because i really like brisket but i don't eat it anymore um so just big slabs of like raw red meat is just like that is it's just kind of gross to me but at the same time, like, I, I acknowledge that I am in the minority about that. I don't eat vegan. I'm not a vegetarian in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I'm just like, that's just gross. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. And also, stop touching all this raw meat. Just stop it. <laughs> wash your Did hands. You wash your hands. Yeah. No, all this cross-contamination is really stressing me out. Is there Purell here? Do you still have access to Purell when you filmed this episode? <laughs> um, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like, no, that alternative meat bit is doesn't take alternative meat seriously, and we should be taking it a lot more seriously. Um, that's a whole episode, I feel like, because I think interrogating those concepts, and just like, I also don't like Saitan at all. I don't think it's good. Give me tofu any day of the week, and I'm a very happy person. Um, but I think like approaching these concepts and this food that isn't considered big, basically, I think is more important than steak. Um, even if I appreciate like in exploring this discourse, but it was also very much a, you didn't do enough with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why to me, it felt too small because whereas in the other ones you were getting into more of this regional and global history and tracing the development of food across time and steak, they didn't, they like kind of glanced towards that, but then they didn't really examine it. They didn't dive in with, here's the cut that everybody had in this era. And then this uh, over time, and but that, and like the poor people had this cut and the rich people had this cut. And then that has changed over. Like they didn't get into any of that. And so it was, you know, they got into gender roles, but I feel like that's its own, again, that's its own episode. So they kind of glanced yeah, at no, that. Food and gender is the whole thing. Yeah, and they glanced at the the meat uh, substitutes, artificial, you know, um, meat replacement options, and I yeah, I just wanted I wanted more from that. So it was yeah. interesting, and I think I think there's a discussion to have about like steakhouses and like the concept of that, and I think that that's where like they spend a good bit of their time. And I think that works. It's the best part of that episode, um, and to cap it off with that weird bathhouse thing where they say uh send um dave Choi, i think um is his last name who is just a delight like he's just i mean he bought that giant knife to an outback steakhouse (laughs) (laughs) just as that he's waiting all day yeah that was that was yeah 
Yeah. Um, but I think that, like, again, it just, it doesn't want to deal with everything around it the same way that it can deal with everything else. Um, so hoping, like, if they do a third season, and they should, because I think that this is a really good food travel show that kind of takes over that Anthony Bourdain-esque legacy. Um, not to the extent, but it's there still. I mean, obviously, I wasn't as big a fan of that episode, but still, I you know, really enjoyed the season. I think there's so much here for foodies and so much for people who are just curious about culture and, and want to learn some stuff and are sitting around and they've already worked through all of their baking shows and all of their competition shows and they're looking for a different kind of documentary. Um, obviously, we, you know, Televerse still endorses Ugly, Del- yeah. uh, Ugly Delicious. There's a lot to appreciate here in season two. Um, and yeah, like you said, I really hope they do season three and i will be you know there with bells on so we'll see i don't i don't know what they would do next but i look forward to finding out what david chang is curious about so we'll see hopefully there'll be a season three i didn't know there would be a season two so let's keep our fingers crossed for season three yeah hopefully knock on wood Knock on wooden things. A few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and set up a conversation there. You can find us an Apple podcast with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. And, of course, we are up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. And, Noel, you are? At Noel R.K. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.